everyone has some sort of a closet that has become too small. A closet is no place to live, and I want to support as many people as I can in stepping out of that prison into the fullness of life that is waiting for them on the other side of that door. This is Nancy Shadlock from Centered Life Coaching. Join me in listening to these coming out chronicles. Get curious about their stories and then go see what good things are waiting for you on the other side of your closet door. I'm happy to share with you today another episode of someone who's happily married and yet wants to share about their coming out story around bisexuality. And I think that that's really brave and really um, needed because as we talk about in the episode, there there is this thing called bi-erasure where sometimes bisexuality just gets erased in our culture. And, you know, like some people think, oh, it's just a gateway to becoming full gay or what's the point in coming out about it if you're already married to someone and and yet there's something internal that is important to convey to the world and there's an empowerment in being able to share that freely and so I really love that Anna came on and shared her story and shared what some of that has opened up for her and also, I, I think that even doing this podcast will open up more for her as it has for so many other people when they come on here. It in of itself is another coming out chapter and more things open up. I want you to know that there is some mention of sexual assault in this episode and spiritual abuse and purity culture. <sighs> yes, I remember much of that from my growing up as well. We've got some parallels in our stories. I hope you enjoy this episode. Anna Miller, it's so great to have you on the podcast today. Uh, Thanks for having me. So the way I usually start all the podcasts is tell me the nature of your coming out story. Yeah, well, my story has a lot to do with religion um, that I was raised in and some of kind of the confusing messages about sex that I got growing up. And then just recently in my thirties, I've for the first time kind of allowed myself to voice um, the the things that I never felt like I was allowed to voice uh, mm-hmm. before now. So I. What, what happened what in your thirties that made it possible? <laughs> well, I, I started, um, I stopped going to the evangelical church that I was going to and started kind of exploring to see what it looked like to be a Christian without holding a lot of the like ultra conservative beliefs like purity culture and um and and really just a lot of different parts of it and that has given me the freedom to actually talk about 
myself and my own sexuality with my, I'm married to a man. So I, you know, talked with my husband about it and it's, it was something I think I was really afraid of, but when I actually did it, it was so much easier than I had imagined. (laughs) What, what precipitated that exit from that conservative church? So I am, I'm a licensed therapist and in my late twenties, around age 28, I started, um, I started getting my master's in counseling. And as I started learning all this stuff about mental health and, you know, thought patterns that are healthy versus ones that are unhealthy, I started noticing how many of the unhealthy thinking patterns of mine came from my religion. Um, and, and a lot of them were even taught to me pretty explicitly. Uh, and I started to wonder like, okay, what's the deal here is, is religion wrong or is, you know, am I interpreting it wrong or is God really just a kind of God that wants his people to be unhealthy and unhappy? Hmm. Um, and, and letting myself ask those questions, let me recognize that the religion that I was taught is not necessarily the absolute right interpretation of things. And especially as I got into the mental health field, I started meeting people who were loving and caring and kind and generous. And even many of them identified as Christian, but they didn't have a lot of those really strict, you know, dogmatic views that I had been told was the only way to be a Christian. Hmm. And a big part of that was being queer, you know, being identifying as anything other than cisgender hetero, which I was, you know, of course, raised to think that's the only way to please God is, is living that kind of lifestyle where you, you marry a man and, and you have lots of babies and you are a good submissive wife. And, you know, those things never meshed with me, with my personality, but I always just assumed it was because of a sin issue mm-hmm. um, or my pride or, or something. But once, like I said, I started meeting all these people that I really, really looked up to and respected um, who did identify with the LGBTQ community and they seem to have such freedom and happiness. And I was like, wow, I was always told that you couldn't be happy if you were quote living in sin. Um, so it just really made me re-examine a lot of things. And I'm so, so glad it did because it has led to a new level of freedom in my life that I had never experienced before that. And I I still consider myself a Christian, but I have chosen not to go to church, at least for the time being, because I really do think I'm in recovery from spiritual Mm -hmm. abuse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so what was the, like kind of the lights coming on and your eyes opening to your queerness? Well, um, 
so my my parents are Southern Baptist missionaries. Uh, so I was raised on what we call the mission field. Mm-hmm. Uh, Whereabouts? Me too. <laughs> in the Philippines. Okay. Yeah. I was in Kenya. Okay. But we well, were always jealous of the Southern Baptist missionaries because they were the richest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard that stereotype. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, you know, the Southern Baptists, they're there's a lot of great people with that organization, but they are very, very conservative when it comes to views on women, sexuality, um, a, a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. And so essentially the way I was raised was I was never told about sex. I, I never had the sex talk. Um, I just didn't know anything about it at all. And so the main message was sex is something to be really ashamed about. And it's something that we don't talk about. Um, And unfortunately around the age of eight, I was sexually assaulted Mm. and I didn't feel like it was safe to talk about that experience. And unfortunately that kind of set the stage for as I grew up and as I, you know, went through puberty, I still felt like sexuality was something that I was not allowed to think about or talk about or ask questions about. And so essentially when I, you know, in puberty, when I did start noticing that I was attracted to some of my female classmates, I, in my mind, thought of it the same way that I thought of the sexual abuse, where I thought, I need to hide this, I need to push it down, this needs to never see the light of day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that, that view on sexuality affected me in a lot of ways, not just in who I thought I was allowed to be attracted to, but it, it presented issues in my relationships, even with guys, you know, because I was attracted to guys as well. But when I was 16 and had my first kiss, I literally <laughs> kissed the guy and then turned around and threw up all over the ground mm-hmm. because that was how nervous I was just at the thought of being physically close to another person because it, it seemed like a sin and it seemed shameful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, fast forward a few years, I, I graduated, I, I came back to the States on my own um, and went to college and I ended up meeting my husband, Marcus, who I a hundred percent would marry again today. Mm-hmm. Um, I love him dearly, but he, he helped me recognize that the ideas I had about sex were so unhealthy and, you know, kind of, as I started to undo all that repression that had, you know, been inflicted upon me, I started to realize Hey, there's things about my sexuality that I've never even really consciously let myself think about before. Hmm. Like the fact that I used to have sex dreams about 
female friends and, and how guilty I would feel when I would wake up, you know, and, and beg God for forgiveness. Um, things like that, that I just had never vocalized to anyone at all. Hmm. Um, and so that combined with really studying mental health combined with leaving some of the conservative beliefs behind about my faith all kind of added up together to, like I said, in my early thirties, finally trying to put a a name to this thing that I've felt my whole life. Hmm. And through the help of, you know, a couple of friends I was able to identify that I am bisexual. Hmm. Um, And it was, it's funny because this has been challenging because I am married to a man. It's, you know, there's, there's this insecurity that other people are going to look down on me or, or not think that my experience is legitimate because I've, chosen to be in a hetero marriage. Um, And that's actually why it's taken me several years to decide to kind of be public. Um, But, you know, somebody was telling me recently about bi erasure, this idea of, you know, bisexuality being seen as less than in some ways. And that made me realize that I was kind of doing that to myself. I was not giving myself credit for the truth of who I am because I was still thinking there was something wrong with me or something bad about me or something that needs to be hidden about my sexuality. And I don't, I don't want to buy into that anymore. Mm-hmm. Good for you. Thanks. I think there's people that can come from the other side too of like, oh, I'm not queer enough. So what's the point of even saying anything? And yeah. Yeah. Well, and and that definitely crossed my mind because, you know, I'm not planning to leave my husband and I'm, you know, happy in our monogamous relationship. So yeah, an argument could be made like, what's the point? Mm -hmm. But I think for me, the point is I was really stuck in not being allowed to know myself for a long time and me coming out, even though it's not going to necessarily change who I'm with, it is going to change the fact that I'm speaking up for myself and I'm saying, this is me, you know, and I'm unique and I don't fit the mold that you know, little Christian girls were expected to fit and that's okay. And I'm not ashamed anymore. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. How does it feel to say that on a podcast that's going to be heard by many, many, many people? (laughs) It's nerve wracking. It's Mm -hmm. nerve wracking for sure. But I'm also, I'm also proud of it because I know that if I had heard a podcast and heard somebody say this when I was younger, Mm -hmm. it would have meant so much to me, but I didn't. And, and that's why I had to kind of figure it out the hard way. So I hope that, you know, especially for younger kids who are being raised 
in conservative scenarios that they can at least hear bits and pieces of messages that tell them it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to be different. It's okay. And I think it's so important too to share that you don't have to divorce your faith to do this. Exactly. Exactly. I think, you know, definitely part of the Southern Baptist sort of um, teaching is that scripture is very, very literal and there's no leeway. There's no, you know, room for interpretation. Um, But ironically, a lot of the things they teach really aren't (laughs) explicit in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Um, And I didn't even realize that there was a contradiction there until I really started looking at it with new eyes. What are some of the contradictions you found? I think a lot of the the verses that people kind of immediately quote when talking about sexuality oftentimes are in the context of what the culture looked like at that time. So, you know, a lot of things about sexuality or homosexuality specifically were in the context of heterosexual marriage being the only option at the time. So essentially when it's talking about homosexuality, what it's really talking about is extramarital affairs. And so I don't, you know, and I'm not a Bible scholar, but I have talked to enough people who are to recognize that there are some pretty significant nuances at play that totally get thrown out the window when people are just trying to quote a verse at you that proves their point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some of my favorite ones are like, we're wearing polyester clothes now. And you weren't, (laughs) if you were following the letter of the law, you're supposed to have no mixed fibers and Uh We eat pork now and like just so many different things that in the context of the time maybe made sense, but now are so different. Yeah, even, you know, a lot of stuff about women in the Bible, we have adapted, you know, women were not supposed to talk in church and we've kind of grown out of that one, fortunately. Um. Or even, you know, the way you do your hair, you know, it used to symbolize something really bad. I think if you've braided your hair or whatever, but obviously we've let go of a lot of things because they don't, they don't mean that same thing in our culture. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, sexuality is kind of like the exception The you know, it, it seems to be one of the big issues that evangelicals are hesitant to rethink or re-examine. Mm-hmm. And Catholics. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, and probably a lot of other faiths too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's, it's causing a lot of pain for a lot of people. Yeah. And I, I think unnecessary pain. Yeah. I think it, you know, something I've been learning about um, recently in regards to my own exploration of like religious abuse 
is the whole purity culture thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those not familiar with it, you know, purity culture is kind of this big push that started in the late eighties, early nineties of, you know, telling of, of really emphasizing to Christian kids that it is absolutely essential to stay a virgin until you get married and not just a virgin physically, but also mentally. So it's, it's like, thinking about sex, asking yourself what you like or what you prefer, that all kind of falls under the umbrella of sexual impurity. And so I think, you know, one of the unfortunate side effects of purity culture is that there's a whole generation of us who were raised being told that even thinking or talking about sexuality is dirty and bad and sinful. And ironically, that that sets you up to feel like you have no control or autonomy over your own sexuality. Hmm. Hmm. And and I was absolutely in in that category of of people who just felt like I was not allowed to even examine things, much less experiment. And, you know, I think that that was a disservice. Yeah. I went to a really conservative Bible college. Okay. After my conservative boarding school. (laughs) And um, I did a a research paper on female masturbation. And I did like a, a quiz, like a blind quiz on the student body population. And it was so edgy at the time. And just yeah. like, what? Like, is this even a thing? Because, you know, in, in youth groups, the boys would get taken aside and talk about like, don't masturbate. But they, that talk would never be had with the girls. because Right. The girls just smart. needed to be modest or yeah. whatever. They had to talk about how they needed to be pure and modest so they didn't cause the boys to stumble just exactly. like, you're just assuming that girls have no sex drive <laughs> right or that we're trying to make the boys stumble right yeah yeah wow that that was pretty uh cutting edge for <laughs> a christian bible school i'm sure yeah yeah well i'm glad though to hear that you were you were challenging that even just right after graduating high school. That's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. I still wasn't out to myself really or others at that time, but I was, yeah, always trying to like push the envelope a little bit more and, and open things up, get conversation going. And I think one of the gifts of that was I, I found one staff member who was willing to talk about it with me. And, and she was like, yeah, like I, talk about it with my daughter and make sure that she knows how to pleasure herself and figure things out. And I was just like, what? Like, that's amazing. Wow. Yeah. 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 That's, that's incredible to think of a, a Christian leader being willing to be brave enough to talk about that without shame. Mm -hmm. Like there wasn't a single adult that I knew growing up that would have been willing to talk like that. I don't think. Mm -hmm. 
I think even today, like a lot of people don't really talk about sex with their kids very much. And yeah, like I'm, I'm getting parents together for a retreat where they can come and like talk about their kid who's recently come out and, and talk about their fears and their thoughts about it. And, you know, one of the people that I interviewed about it was like, yeah, like we just never really talked about sex at all. And so it's weird now to talk about, you know, my kids coming out because we yeah. never talked about sex to begin with. And I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. I think we have this false idea that like talking about sex with kids is going to give them ideas mm-hmm. or, or maybe push them to be more sexually adventurous than they should be at their age or whatever. But I feel like that relies on this assumption that we aren't sexual until we are like, like there's some magic moment where we become sexual, sexual beings, but I don't, I don't think that is something that happens in puberty. I think it's just part of who we are. We are sexual beings. And so hiding that from kids or not educating them on that just means they aren't prepared when they do naturally encounter things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This episode was brought to you by Centered Life Coaching. And I've got a special new offering I'm excited to share with you. Does life feel a little bit crazy right now? There's a lot of hustle and bustle. There's a lot of noise. It's hard to hear yourself. I got you. Join me on the front porch, away from the hustle of life. Sit down. Take a breath. Share what's on your mind and heart. This is where you'll discover your true self. Come and hear yourself into being. You'll be astounded at what you notice. There's a link for the front porch sessions in the show notes, or you can sign up at centered.ca. I'm waiting on the front porch for you. Are you coming? So what has opened up for you since this discovery and starting to speak out loud about it? Well, I... I've definitely made a lot of new friends. Um, I, right now I mentioned earlier that I'm a therapist and I've actually found a lot of fulfillment in working with LGBTQ um, individuals who are, you know, looking for a Christian therapist or, or somebody who has that sort of Christian worldview, but is accepting and an ally and, and even a member of their own community. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just been such a cool way of sort of coming full circle, you know, starting out in, in such a unhealthy way of thinking. And now not only am I feeling healthier and more liberated ever than before, but I'm also helping other people. At least I sure hope I am (laughs) as, you know, as they work through their own journeys. Um, So that's been really meaningful. And it's also helped me recognize how not alone I am. Mm -hmm. You know, every, every single story, I see little bits and pieces of myself in 
And it's just a constant reminder that I'm not as weird as I think I am. <laughs> I'm not as messed up as I think I am. I'm actually just a human, just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It actually makes you more relatable probably. Yeah. I know when I was in the holier than thou good girl phase, <laughs> it made me kind of unapproachable to people because like I, I didn't have all these crushes on boys. I wasn't sleeping around. Like I was so pious, but also recognizing I wasn't necessarily tempted by boys like that. Right. So it was easier, but yeah, also like now I'm more human and I think people like can connect with me better and I'm sure probably you too. Yeah. Well, and I think for me, in some ways, I thought of myself as subhuman, you know, that that shame that I had growing up, especially from the sexual assault, which I had no framework to understand. Essentially, what I believed about myself was there's something deeply wrong with me. You know, like this kind of thing wouldn't have happened to me if I had been good and faithful to God. And so I, I definitely internalized that. And I felt like I was I couldn't relate to other people because I was not as good as them. Um, and it wasn't until I really started to hear other people's stories that were so similar to mine that I realized, wait a minute, I'm not actually worse because I don't see them as subhuman. You know, it's, it's easy to offer them grace, but apparently now I need to figure out how to do that for myself. Mm-hmm. And if there was you know, like an eight, 13 year old girl that's listening and something like that had happened to her, what would you say to her? I would tell her that shouldn't have happened to you. And I'm really sorry that it did, but you're not alone. You're not the only one and you can talk about it. You can open up You can find people that are trustworthy. You don't have to do this all alone. And what's really important to remember is that you didn't do anything to deserve that. Mm -hmm. You are still just as lovable and worthy as you were before that happened. And nothing has changed. Mm -hmm. It's not your fault. Exactly. Yeah. Beautiful. Maybe when you listen to this episode, you'll uh, hear those words for yourself too. Oh, I've said them in the mirror. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure in your own therapy, you've been working through it all. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. So what's next? Like what? What's your next coming out story? What's coming out of all this for you? You know, I feel like I am just at the beginning of figuring out how how I can be a Christian and a person of faith, but also reject some of the really unhealthy and hurtful things that I was taught growing up. 
And I think in some ways I I'm still afraid to, to explore that because it's almost easier to come out about sexuality than it is about spirituality, at least in my family, you know, there's, there's more emphasis put on my identity as a Christian above anything else. And so I, I do feel like the next step for me is just continuing to peel back layers and to figure out who I am as a Christian and who I am as a human without any of that shame that has been hanging over me for most of my life. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that'll look like, but I'm looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Looking forward and a little bit <laughs> nervous. <laughs> and terrified. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Is there one certain thing that feels the most kind of jarring in that? You know, I think it's really just my parents because they have devoted their entire lives to missionary work and, and I love them dearly and I respect them and I don't want to hurt them. And I feel like me questioning kind of some of the fundamentals that they taught me, it feels like a betrayal, at least, at least to me, it seems like it would feel that way to them. And I'm, I'm really afraid of that because I don't want them to feel like I don't appreciate them or, or that I think they, you know, did things to harm me intentionally. But in order to be true, I do have to recognize the ways that I was hurt and, you know, the, the things that they specifically said and taught to me that were part of that. And so I guess it's, it's tricky finding that balance of saying, Hey, this was done to me, but also I don't hate you. And I don't, you know, I don't think that you had bad intentions. And I think that's just a hard conversation to have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel you. Have you read Untamed? I haven't. It's Glennon Doyle's book and she has a quote in there that I found like really challenging and kind of speaks to this of like a girl becomes a woman when she stops living her life by her parents specifications but her own and it's like oh like yes I agree and that's so challenging because yeah. you're right like it's offensive to them and it's hurtful but it's also like not serving us to just keep living by these old wineskins that don't fit anymore (laughs) yeah yeah it's funny you say that because when when Marcus and I first got married and our my parents would come to visit we would always hide all of our wine (laughs) because my parents are you know they don't believe that drinking alcohol is you know God's best Um, and I was so terrified that they were going to see our alcohol and judge me and think that I had backslid in my faith or that Mm -hmm. gotten a foothold in my life through alcohol. (laughs) And, you know, little by little Marcus convinced me that that was silly and that I needed to quit hiding it. 
And I was actually surprised by how not a big deal it was. I mean, they did kind of give us some looks and, and I'm sure internally they were having some judgmental thoughts, but ultimately I found a lot of empowerment in that, in just that tiny step of leaving Mm -hmm. out instead of hiding it when they came over. And Mm -hmm. that was just one of many, many small steps I've made to get here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As a parent now, I'm like trying to hold it all loosely and recognize like we're doing the best that we can to raise our kids the best that we know how and trusting that we're probably messing them up in so many ways and having a fund for their therapy <laughs> down the road because like, yeah, yeah you, you do what you can and you hold it loosely. I think vulnerability is probably one of the best tools we have as parents to be able to say, I'm holding it loosely and I know I'm not perfect. And I know that all the things that I'm teaching you now, probably someday you're gonna find out that some of them were not the greatest. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'll be willing to admit that when it happens, at least I sure hope I'll be humble enough to admit Mm it. You know, being vulnerable enough to say I'm not perfect. And if you feel like something is going wrong, I wanna hear about it. That's probably the best thing any of us can do for our kids. Mm-hmm. Keep those lines of communication open. Yeah. 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 Tell me a little bit about the work that you're doing with Josh. Yeah. So my friend Josh Miller and I, we, we actually met um, doing crisis mental health work a few years back and we kind of stayed connected even after we left that job and just this year, or I guess starting last year um, in the middle of the pandemic, <laughs> we, we started talking about what would it be like if we took our love of mental health and our love of helping people empathize with one another and made that into a business. Um, so we have recently started our own consulting business where we, we talk to individuals, groups, companies, uh, churches, nonprofits, and we'll do um, trainings on various mental health issues all under the umbrella of empathy. Um, so, so our company is called Empathy Paradigm. And basically the, the empathy model that we teach says that when you see somebody doing something that you don't understand or you don't agree with, or you don't like it, a lot of times, if you take a step back and look at them as a whole person, you look at where they came from, who they are, what they've been through, what they've been going through just recently, If you look at all of those things and add them up, it's actually really easy to understand why somebody would do what they're doing and why they would feel the way they feel. Even if you don't agree with it, you can understand it. Hmm. And I think that paves the way for us to have a lot of 
conversations that maybe without empathy would be impossible. Mm -hmm. You know, right now our country is so, so divided over things like politics. And I think part of the reason why we're so divided is because we don't know how to talk about it using empathy. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying, hey, you who are on the other side, I don't even see you as a human anymore because you're believing these things that I don't believe. Instead of doing that, we can say, we're all human here. And yeah, we don't agree on some stuff, but if I really understood you, if I really knew where you came from, I would probably get it. I'd probably understand why you feel that way. And I'd be a lot more willing to talk to you in a respectful way <laughs> mm -hmm. because I'm not dehumanizing you. Right. So, you know, a lot of our work has, you know, has to do with trauma informed leadership and diversity and equity um, and, you know, hopefully encouraging companies to take these things into consideration um, as they're advocating for themselves or for their employees. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I think especially bridging that in churches is so powerful. Yeah, we're, we're hoping to really do more about that. Although, of course, no church really wants to acknowledge that they need help um, <laughs> confronting, you know, things like empathy and inclusion. But, um, but we have found a few that are just really great, great churches that are seeking to glorify God by loving people well. And I feel like that's so admirable. Mm hmm. It's huge. Yeah. Well, I'm so grateful that you are doing the work that you're doing in the world. And I'm happy that you've come to this place that you're now in of realizing all these things about yourself and the gifts that you have to share with the world. And I hope that you just step more and more into who you are and that that is a gift to people. Thanks. I'm, I'm happy I've come on this journey too. And I'm really thankful for you for asking people about their stories and listening. That's, you know, we need more of that in the world. <laughs> yeah. I think a, a big hope for this podcast is that it creates empathy for people where they can step into someone's shoes and realize like, oh, okay, this is what's been going on underneath all these things. And I only see the social media or things of people, but to realize like, oh, you've been thinking of this for years. And it's not just like all of a sudden happened because you started drinking wine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, thanks for being here today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Coming Out Chronicles. If you enjoyed it and you think it would be helpful for someone else, please share it with them. If you'd like to connect with me, reach out on social. I'd love to support you in the next chapter of your coming out story. I can help you know yourself, free yourself, and be yourself. Until next time, this is Nancy Shadlock from Centered Life Coaching.